invite you to listen carefully and listen well. This too is the word of the Lord. From Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and praised God with a loud voice and fell on his face before the feet of Jesus, giving him thanks. Now, this man was a Samaritan. And then Jesus answered, were not ten healed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? He said to him, rise and go. Your way. Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's a familiar passage for us, I think. Um, with, with a fairly obvious takeaway, a reminder to be thankful, a reminder to be grateful, a reminder to stop um, and notice in the midst of your life what God has done for you and is doing for you, and to give thanks. Um, the, the takeaway here is that when you go back, it's not just like, hey, you should be thankful, you better be thankful. The gratitude is what allows you to be in the presence of the Savior. You see how that kind of works? Um, because he stopped and returned and went back and gave thanks, that allowed him to be with Jesus, which is the point. I had a um, pastor and professor in seminary um, who spoke in the three years that we um, were blessed to receive his preaching. Over and over again, he would remind us to be grateful. Uh, because gratitude, when, when you are feeling and expressing gratitude, it's hard to really... Be super angry or be really envious about what someone else has. Um, gratitude allows you to be in Christ's presence. So there's, there's sort of like the, the obvious take on the beginning of this parable. But what I'd like to do this morning, you know, file that away. Remember that fact. Today's a great opportunity for you to give thanks, whether it's for babies laughing or uh, musicians singing beautifully and leading us in worship. Um, you can give thanks today. But what I'd really like to do with this passage is to look at two things, two Two aspects here. Uh, first, I think that this passage presents to us the gospel in miniature. It, it pictures it for us. If we want to see how it works, here it is. And then seeing the gospel, hearing the gospel again, I hope that you can begin to see just a little bit um, how this passage is actually a pretty good representation of worship on a Sunday morning. That's it. I want you to hear the gospel 
I want you to see um, what you're doing today in worship in this text in a way that hopefully will continue uh, to transform your life. Ready? Easy enough? Two things, gospel and worship. Here it is. Um, So how does the passage begin? Where do we begin? It begins on the way to Jerusalem. He is passing along between Samaria and Galilee. We've been talking about this for a while. This travelogue in the middle of the Gospel of Luke. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. We've made a big deal about the fact that we're no longer in Galilee. Like Jesus and the disciples, we have left that comfortable place. We've made a big deal about moving through Samaria. This space that's a little more unwelcome, a little more difficult, filled with various kinds of challenges. We've made a big deal about that. I've made a big deal about that. I don't know about you guys, but I've, I've been making a big deal about that, right? Hopefully it's beginning to sink in a little bit. But let's not forget, this passage reminds us that our lives as Christians are not defined by our past, not even defined by our present. Our lives as Christians are defined by that future reality that is pictured for us in Jerusalem. Luke chapter 9 began with Jesus setting his face towards Jerusalem. That's where he's going. It's the place of victory. It's the end game here. In fact, when we get to the end of the scriptures, Revelation talks about the new heavens and the new earth as the new Jerusalem come down out of heaven from God. It's the city where we will dwell with God and God with us. Christ will be the light of that city. Our lives are defined by that future reality, which in Jesus and the power of the Spirit actually um, washes clean our past, which actually comes into the present and transforms us and transforms our relationships and our lives so that we can also be agents of tra- change, bringing that kingdom even further uh, into the reality of the world. We, we pray for that, don't we? That it would be on earth as it is in heaven. Well, this is how it's beginning to happen. This, uh, the, the opening sentence reminds us of the framework that we've been working through and reminds us where our true identity lies. Our lives are hidden with Christ and God, right? So that's the beginning. That sets the frame. But what about the gospel? What happens next? Jesus shows up, doesn't he? As he entered a village, <clears throat> Jesus shows up. He, he entered Bethlehem, didn't he? Here's, here's a reminder of the incarnation that God is with us, like we've been singing this morning. Christ the Lord is with you. That's the good news of the gospel. Christ the Lord is with us, says Olivia. That's the good news. Jesus showed up in Bethlehem and grew up in Nazareth and showed up again in the temple at age 12 and showed up again by the Jordan River and was baptized, binding himself to our lot. He was anointed with the Spirit, and the Father spoke his pleasure over him. And he he keeps showing up over and over and over and over again all throughout the Scriptures, all throughout your life. What's the village name that he shows up at? It's not listed, is it? Let's just call it Newland. Right? And as he entered the village, Jesus shows up. And what do we see when Jesus shows up? We see ten lepers who were practicing social distancing. Right? They stood at a distance. It was, uh, it's been a thing before we knew it was a thing, right? This is not the first pandemic that the world has known, is it? Not the first contagious disease. In fact, these lepers come... <clears throat> And um, they've been forced into a, a quarantine because they have an illness for which there was no known cure. They have been removed from society and isolated. They've been taken out of their places of work, been taken out of uh, the market, 
um, taking out of their sphere of relationships in the neighborhood in which they live. They've been removed from their family. They've lo- basically, their whole life has been lost. It's been taken from them. And so now they take up residence, and we all desire community, right? And so they, they've come together with other folks who are going through similar things, and they live in caves outside of town, and they are shunned by other people, and they can't come close to anyone that they love, or even their enemies, they, you know, they, they can't come close to anyone. They've wrapped themselves. They kind of look like the walking dead because um, they've wrapped themselves. They, they've masked up, really. They've got scars around their faces and uh, binding their wounds. You know, leprosy was a disease that would slowly uh, eat away at your flesh. So one of the first things to go are your ears and your nose. So they look like skulls, really. Uh, they look like the, the walking dead. Uh, they're, fing- they're missing fingers and, and toes and maybe hands and feet difficult thing incredibly painful thing they found their wounds maybe you hear this story a little differently today than you did two years ago right because you can imagine a world in which people mask up a world in which people have to keep space between one another a world in which folks who are sick with a disease for which there's no known cure as of yet are required to remain you know be out outside of society, outside of their normal life, outside of their family life. You know, folks in the hospital, their loved ones can't come see them. When we worried that maybe Leslie had it, she she was required to take a test, uh, I couldn't go to the hospital when Spencer was born. I couldn't be in the room with her until after that test came back negative. Um, Life has changed, isn't it? Maybe you can identify just a little more with these lepers. But that's sort of on an exterior, exterior level. I think. I want us to go a little deeper. I think you can identify, I know I certainly can, on a much deeper level. Um, For centuries, Christians have spoken of leprosy as a decent analog to sin. Because in the same way that leprosy eats away at the life of a person, such that previously they were were whole in in their human form, but now their life is beginning to fall apart and fall away and it's being eaten away. In the same way, uh, sin to the human being eats away at our soul. Uh, Some interesting things begin to happen. Uh, Suddenly, because of the effects of sin, we don't have ears to hear. We can't hear the voice of the Lord as we are intended to hear it. Uh, We we discover that our fingers, uh, because they are now missing, our hands can't serve the Lord as they are intended to serve him. Because we're too busy taking care of ourselves. Um, we discover that our feet don't allow us to walk in lockstep with the Savior as we were intended. We discover that our noses aren't able to catch anymore the, the pleasing scent that is the, um, the aroma of the presence of God with us, around us, among us. We discover that we're not able to, to taste and to see that, that the Lord is good. Sin is eating away. I hope maybe, just maybe, you can identify just a little more closely with these ten lepers who stood at a distance. You see what sin does. It it removes us from relationships as they were intended to be. We mask up. We cover up. We don't reveal ourselves. We certainly hide, as Adam and Eve hid, covering themselves from the Lord. Sin eats away at our soul. What are we left to do? Um, Well, I think the lepers give us a decent uh, starting point. What do they do? Jesus shows up, as Jesus always does. He shows up in the village. He shows up in Newland. What do we do? 
the lepers cried out with a loud voice, Jesus, have mercy on us. Um, there are other places in the scriptures where Jesus touches lepers. You know, they're not overly concerned that Jesus is going to get what they've got. Um, he touches lepers, and instead of being contaminated himself, which is what we're prone to do with our own sin, contaminate other people, it spreads like wildfire. He, in turn, heals people. And the same thing is true about our sin. Sin is not something that ought to keep us from Jesus. So often we feel that inner guilt, and, and uh, we don't think that we can come near. But that's not, in fact, the case. We're called to cry out for the Lord's mercy. In fact, that is what that is the means of our relationship. That's all we got to give him. And so we cry out for mercy. Uh, Jesus then speaks. What does Jesus tell him to do? They cry out, Jesus, Master, Jesus, Lord, have mercy on us. And Jesus says, go show yourselves to the priests. That, that's not Jesus working around the situation. Um, that's coded language for you're about to get your life back. Uh, in that day and time, if someone was healed from their disease, the way that they could re-enter society, re-enter the workplace, go back to their job, go back to the market, go back to their neighborhood, go back to their family, the way that happened was by going to the priest and the priest would declare you clean and you could re-enter society. So when Jesus tells them, go show yourselves to the priest, that's some pretty good news, isn't it? They're getting everything back. Every, their lives are being restored, remade, renewed. But here's the kicker. And here's the place where I think we can really enter in this morning. When they go, they are not yet healed. Did you catch that? The scripture said, and as they went, they were cleansed. So that means that when we show up and cry out for God's mercy, and, he, and when he gives us commands, that's actually the Lord's mercy. That's how Jesus gives us and shows us his mercy. He commands them to go and show themselves to the priest, and they do it. And as they go, they are healed. Let's think, what does the Lord command us to do? Maybe this transforms your understanding of, like, commandments, which sound very rigorous, right? And to a certain degree they are, but on the other hand, they're actually the mercy of the Lord given to us. So what does Jesus command us to do? We've been walking through this, pass this uh, set of passages. Uh, when you pray... Pray like this. Father, art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Right? So we're, we're commanded to pray. Um, what's another command? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. She says this is like all along the commandment, all along the prophets right here. Who's our neighbor? Well, we, we've got a story about that, don't we? Good Samaritan. Um, we're called, we are called, you are called to be the neighbor who does not pass by. What else? Um, take, eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, take and drink. Do this in remembrance of me. The commandments of the Lord are the mercy are the Lord's mercy. Uh, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And lo, I'll be with you even to the end of the age. The Lord's commandments are actually how Jesus grants to us his mercy. And guess what? When we say and we respond in faith, which is what the lepers did. You know, faith in the scriptures isn't 
a noun, we tend to think of it as a thing, as an idea, faith. It's a verb. It's an action word. It means when they declared Jesus master, when they cried out for his mercy, and he told them to do something, they believed in him. And even though they didn't see the effects yet in their own lives, they responded in obedience. And as they went, they were healed. And I think the same is true for us. We show up, we cry out for the Lord's mercy. And he says, yes, I'll have mercy on you. Love the Lord your God. Take, eat, drink, do this in remembrance, and go make disciples. And as that begins to happen, guess what? We see in our own lives that we are being healed. Our lives are being transformed. Suddenly we have ears to hear the word of the Lord. We have feet that are walking with the Savior. No matter what strange Sumerian passage we must walk through. We discover that our hands are set to the Lord's work. That When we come to the table, we can taste and we can see that the Lord is good. We're seeing its effects in our lives. Isn't that incredible? As we go in obedience, we begin to see the Lord's mercy. So that's kind of the first part. And then the second part of the story is all about this one who was healed, uh, who came back. Who came back to return thanks. What does he do when he comes? He praises God with a loud voice. He falls on his face before Jesus' feet. It's a position of worship. He, literally, he prostrated himself before Jesus. Now, that image ought to stick in your mind, or, or at least ought to kind of spark something. So if we're talking about on the way to Jerusalem, and suddenly in the midst of the Sumerian passage, this man is falling on his face before Jesus, what happens in that new Jerusalem when the city of God comes down out of heaven? We see there one seated on the throne in the Lamb, Right? And then we see four living creatures surrounding the throne and the 24 elders who were doing what? They were falling down on their faces before he was seated on the throne in the Lamb. It's a picture of the it's a picture of our participation in God's life, which is the gospel, right? So salvation isn't just forgiveness for the bad stuff you've done. It's also it's it's what happens when God draws you into his very life. This picture of the man who remembered and gave thanks and fell down in worship is a picture of his participation in the life of the Trinity. The Father who from all eternity has loved the Son in the power of the Spirit. The Son who from all eternity has in the power of the Spirit loved and worshipped the Father. You're now through Jesus in the Spirit drawn in to the very life of God. It's pictured in Revelation, the fullness, the beauty of that. Here in the midst of time, in the midst of the difficulty in worship and giving thanks, that's what begins to happen. And then just Jesus asks him to, he says, gives him another command, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. What do you think that guy's going to do when he goes home? When he, go, when he gets his life back? When he goes back now as a, as a whole, as a healed person uh, in relationship with God and with other people? What is he going to do when he goes back home to the workplace? He's going to tell people who ask him, how did you do that? How, why are you back here? What is he going to tell them? He's going to tell them all about what Jesus did for him, right? Exactly. This is the gospel. Jesus shows up. We cry out for mercy when we're confronted by his goodness and purity. We see that which is lacking in ourselves. We see the way that sin is eating away at our souls. We cry out for mercy to the only one who can give it. And he gives it. And he gives us commands. He shows us how to live life. And as we enter into that, we discover that we're being healed. And as we're being healed, we 
Well, we come back on Sunday mornings and at various points in the day and we give thanks and we worship. And as we worship, we begin to participate in the very life of God, which is a participation in the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven and taking up residence right now and here in the world, in you, through you, and among you. And then we're sent. Having now been given a share in Jesus' life, we're given a share in his mission. And so we go back out to share good news. It's the story of the gospel, isn't it? Right here. It's amazing. It's beautiful. But it's also a picture of our worship. What happens on a Sunday morning? Well, in villages all around the world, Jesus shows up in the power of the Spirit, gathers the people together. And what do we do at the very beginning of worship? Most in, the, in our, This is a little bit abridged here, but we come and we offer our prayer of confession. At the very beginning, we confess that we're sinful. It's our way of crying out for the Lord's mercy, isn't it? And what happens after that? We go to the word. That's the next piece. And we open up the scriptures, which are the commands of the Lord. And we again give ourselves to them. And Jesus and the power of the Spirit makes them alive to us here and now. As we enter into this, these commands, we then respond by coming to the table. And you know what happens at the very first part of the liturgy of the, the Lord's Supper? It's the prayer, the great prayer of thanksgiving. Lift up your hearts, lift up to the Lord. Let's give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give God thanks and praise. It's built in. See how our worship is biblical? It is built in that we give thanks. And as we give thanks, and as we come and receive his body and his blood at the table, guess what? We now have a share in the life of God. It's renewed within us. And then what happens at the end of worship? There's descending. That's the last stage. There's a good word. There's a blessing. There's a benediction. That's what it means. Good word. The good word is faith has made you well. Go, rise and go. And what are you going to do when you go home today? Eat? <laughs> and say a thank you to God as you eat, right? <laughs> and somewhere along the way, in the midst of all these many blessings that God gives, we're also called to tell somebody else about them and draw them into this space where we can... Instead of one coming back, guess what? Two come back, and then three, and then four, and we give thanks. We hear the good word, and we're sent again. This passage is the gospel. It's worship. Note that as you remember the context of your life, your past and your present isn't the most important thing about you. It's the life of Jesus coming to live in you right now as you follow the commands of our Lord cry out for his mercy and receive it. Pray that context is set for your life. As you hear the gospel again, it sinks a little deeper. As you gain a, a deeper context and understanding of worship, what it means to come here today and to do what you're doing right now. I pray that you can find opportunities to give thanks. And in giving thanks, find yourself in the presence of the Savior who promises a new heavens and a new earth. It was accomplished it by way of a cross and an empty grave. Bless you, friends, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.